seated. Good morning, church. Just want to, first of all, say happy Father's Day to all our fathers. Father's Day is a special day for me because I am a father. And uh, I hope today, fathers, that Father's Day is special for you. It's, it's just a blessing being a dad. And, and for me, things have kind of taken a twist because not only am I a father, I'm a grandfather. And I love that. I love being called Pops and have my grandson chase me all over the place. Uh, and, you know, I'm doing everything I can to try and keep up with him these days. But it's just a special time in my life. And, and again, dads, I, I hope this is spe a special time for you. As you guys can see right now, we're in a series on the book of Daniel. So if you guys want to go ahead and be turning there in your Bibles, you can. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be one for you in the pew. Or you can just follow along with me on the screen. I'm going to put most of the scriptures up on the screen. But you, you, may, want to, you may want to follow along in the Bible, in your Bible, uh, because there are going to be some places maybe you can highlight or underline this morning that hopefully will make a tremendous impact on you. So last week, as we began this series, we went through Daniel chapter 1. And what we saw in Daniel chapter 1 was Babylon's strategy to influence Daniel and his friends. But today as we get into Daniel chapter 2, what we're going to see is Daniel's strategy to influence Babylon. And, and really all of this is going to come about by Daniel being different. But, but before we kind of get into that hard and heavy, I want us to review just a little bit for those of you who weren't here so I can kind of fill you in just a little bit. And, and let me say this, if you were unable to be here last week and you want to hear more, if you want to go back and listen to lesson one, you can. Uh, we have a church podcast. We also have a church website where you can listen to any of these lessons anytime that you want. We also have a church webpage or, or Facebook page rather where you can not only listen to these lessons, but you can kind of keep up with the stuff going on here at Central. So I want to encourage you to do that. But last week, we started talking about how Israel, Judah, was under the rule of an awful king by the name of Jehoiakim. And the reason I say he was awful was because he was leading the people of God further away from God. And so God warns Jehoiakim and he warns the people of Israel. He says, listen, if you guys don't change, if you don't repent... He says, I'm going to send you off into exile. And Jehoiakim and the people of Israel, they didn't listen. And so finally, in 605 B.C., God kept His promise. God allowed the Babylonians to come in under the kingship of another terrible king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar to come in and besiege Israel. And, and what that word simply means, and we talked about this last week, is that the Babylonians, what they would do is they would come in and they would conquer your city and they would take the best of the best back with them to Babylon. 
They would take the best of the best of your economy, the best of your arts, the best of your ideas, the best of your people. They would take it all back with them, absorb it into their culture so that they could become a stronger empire. Well, like I said, they, they took back with them the best of the best. So this guy by the name of Daniel, who wrote the book of Daniel, was one of the ones who was taken back into Babylonian exile with three of his friends. They were stripped away from their family. They had to walk some 700 miles to Babylon. And then when they get there, they're put into this three-year school. And for those of you who are here, you probably remember, I told you the purpose of the school was not to educate you about Babylon. The purpose of the school was to make you Babylonian. Okay, but, but not only did they have this school, but they also would change your diet. Uh, they were forced to eat, eat the rich food of the Babylonians, which was probably sacrificed or offered to their gods. And then also remember, they changed their names to reflect the names of their Babylonian gods. And, and Daniel and his friends, through all of this, through the schooling and, and through you know, dealing with the diet, uh, the dietary changes, and, and even the removing of their names and, and being given Babylonian names, Daniel and his friends, instead of getting angry, and instead of losing hope, they, they knew and they lived their lives by the same truth that you and I should live by, and it's this. You've got your outline. You may want to write this down because, listen, this is important. God is in control of those who think they are in control even when things seem out of control. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Okay, God is in control of those who think they are in control even when things seem out of control. Okay, Daniel and his friends knew that. And so they weren't bitter, they didn't get loud, they didn't protest, they, they didn't get ugly, you know, on social media about Nebuchadnezzar and how they can't stand Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't freak out, they didn't blend in, they sought to make a difference right where they lived, listen to me, by being different. And that is so key. If we are going to influence our culture, if we're going to influence the world for God, we've got to be different. And, and that was Daniel and his friends. They demonstrated so much wisdom and balanced judgment that the king and everyone else in Babylon couldn't help but notice. In fact, they were given a seat at the table. And that's where they had tremendous influence. Listen, and I think that this, this lesson couldn't come at a better time, especially since it's Father's Day. But let me say this, God is looking for more modern-day Daniels. Men and women who will stand up and be who God is calling them to be. To be faithful throughout the cultural climate in which they live. And, and, and let, me, let me show you what happens when we do. There, there's this cycle. 
throughout the book of Daniel that I want you to see because I think this same cycle takes place. It's still going on and continuing today. First of all, there, are, there is some sort of external threat or pressure. Then there is a wise and courageous response. Then God displays His power and His sovereignty of which He then gets the glory. Then godly people gain the respect and admiration of ungodly people within a godless culture and they have an opportunity to have an influence and to make a difference. And again, I believe that same cycle is continuing to happen today. And, and so as we get into chapter 2, let me just remind you once again, in chapter 1, what we saw was Babylonians or, or, or Babylon's strategy to uh, really influence Daniel and his friends. And now as we get into chapter 2, what we're going to see is Daniel's strategy to influence Babylon. Okay, so let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. How many of you have had one of those nights? Where, man, you're just tossing and turning and the dreams are crazy, right? And you wake up and, and maybe you go back to sleep and you start having some more crazy dreams. And, and so it's just a restless night. Well, notice, Nebuchadnezzar has these dreams. And so he called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. And he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. Now, let's stop right there because I want you to understand that dreams in the Babylonian culture were very important to them. They believed that dreams were messages from their gods. And they believed that in these dreams, the message included something about their future. Okay, And, and so you can just imagine how important... These dreams were to Nebuchadnezzar, especially in light of who he is. He's the king, and he's thinking the gods are trying to say something to me. It's got something to do with my future. And, and so maybe he's thinking, could, could this have something to do with the policy that's coming up? Or, or could this have something to do with someone who's trying to threaten my life, which was definitely a, a legitimate concern. But Nebuchadnezzar was like, I've got to know, what do these dreams mean? And so he calls in, he brings in his magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and astrologers, and basically he asks them about his dream. And, and these guys are, are just really... Worthless. I mean, they were really the equivalent of, of a magic eight ball. You guys remember that? You know, you ask it a question, you shake it up, and then it gives you like this general answer that, that would really answer any question, right? And, and that's what these guys were like. And, and so, you know, with, with some people who are gullible, that might work, but, but Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar was not gullible. He was, he was pretty genius. He, he was really brilliant because what he does is he brings these guys in and he says, first of all, what I want you guys to do is tell me what I dreamed. Because here, here was his mindset. 
I will have the confidence that I need to have that you can interpret this dream if you tell me what I dreamed. And well, look at their response to that. It's, it's what we would expect, right? Starting in verse 10, the astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is, why church? Impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream. And they do not live here among the people. And the king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. Okay, so, so notice here you have the king. He calls them in, and he says, Listen, before you guys interpret my dream, tell me what I dreamed. And these guys are like, are, are you kidding me? That's impossible. No one can do that. Only the gods can tell you what, what happens in your dreams. And, and they're not here among men. And so they're just, they're basically telling the king, look, you're, you're being too harsh. You're, you're being irrational. And he was. And what you're going to see as we go through the book of Daniel is that's just kind of the way Nebuchadnezzar operated. A lot of kings during that day and time, operated that way. But they said, there is no way anyone would be able to tell you what this dream means. Now, we've already looked at the first 13 verses of chapter 2, and this is the first time as we get to the end of verse 13, this is the first time that Daniel is mentioned. And here's the thing, he's not even in the room. And yet, he's already been sentenced to death. And some of you may be scratching your head, and you may be thinking to yourself, what in the world? Why is Daniel and his friends going to be put to death? Well, remember I told you that Daniel and his friends had to go through that three-year school. Apparently, he has graduated from the school, and so now he is considered one of the king's wise men. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, guilty by association? <laughs> That's basically what we have. All the wise men are being killed. Daniel and his, his three friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they are official wise men, and so here they come. They are hunting them down to kill them. Verse 14. When Arach, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with what church? Wisdom and discretion. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if someone's coming to take my life, I doubt I'm going to use a lot of wisdom and, and discretion. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to be freaking out. These people are trying to kill me, but not Daniel. He asked Arach, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? And, and again, that, that's true. This is harsh. It's, it's irrational. That's how Nebuchadnezzar works. So Arach told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. And here's the thing. The king gave him more time. Don't know why. But we can surmise or assume that it was because of the way Daniel had been conducting himself. 
since he'd been in Babylon. Right? He'd been respectful. Um, he had used wisdom and, and balanced judgment and discretion. And, and so already, King Nebuchadnezzar respects Daniel because of the way he's been living. And so he grants Daniel this extra time to interpret the dream. Verse 19. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel did what, church? Praise the God of heaven. And I just want to read this prayer. And this is where you guys may want to break out your, your pen or your highlighter so that you can underline this in your Bible. Notice his prayer. And I, I think this is, this is something that you and I, I think need to be praying right now in the cultural climate that, that we're living in right now. He says, praise the name of God forever and ever. For He has all wisdom and power. He, what church? Controls the course of what? World events. You may want to highlight that. And the next time you turn on the news and you're like about to freak out, you may want to reference this. You may want to go back to this verse and read it again, right? He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though He is surrounded by light. I thank and I praise You, God of my ancestors, for You have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of You and revealed to us what the King demanded. Isn't that an awesome prayer? Daniel is just calling out to God, thanking God, because God is in control. And God has already revealed the answer to him. He, he knows exactly what Nebuchadnezzar has dreamed, and he knows the interpretation of that dream. So cool. And so now, Daniel goes to Arach, the, the commander of the guard. And this is what he says, verse 24. Don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of this dream. And, and apparently, Arach, he, he knew the urgency of the situation, and so he takes Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar immediately, verse 25, and this is what he says. He says, I found, I found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And, and I want you to push pause right there because I want you to think about this. Right here is Daniel's moment. This is his moment. He's standing before the king. He's, he's been faithfully living for God within a very godless culture. He's been patient. He's been wise. He's been respectful. He's been living with discernment and balanced judgment. And now he has been given this moment with the king. And can I just say, when we faithfully live for God, when we faithfully invest in the lives of others, faithfully operating with wisdom and respect and discernment and balanced judgment, listen, there will come a moment 
just like this for you and me. Where we will be given an opportunity to make a difference in this world and in the life of someone that God has placed in our path. Well, Daniel kind of starts off like the astrologers or like the other wise man as he's standing before King Nebuchadnezzar, but you're going to see him take a turn. Look at verse 27. Daniel replied, There are no wise men, encanter or enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. Sound familiar? That's what they said, right? It's impossible. No one can do this. Now watch him take a sharp turn right here. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. And I absolutely love that. And and, and what you're going to see from here is Daniel explaining what King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream and explaining what all of that means. Now, here's the unfortunate part. We don't have time to read all this. It's very, very lengthy. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to describe the dream for you and I'm going to kind of explain it and then you guys can go back this afternoon and you can read it for yourself. Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar in your dream... He said, you saw a statue. And that statue was something like this. It was made of of different materials. The head was gold, the the chest and the arms were, were silver, the torso and the waist was made out of bronze, and the legs were iron, and and then the feet was a mixture of of iron and clay. And and so he says, you you saw this statue, it's made of all kinds of different materials, and, and here's what these things represent and mean. All of this represents the different kingdoms throughout history. Okay, and, and I want to I kind of explain this to you. For example, the gold head, that represents King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, which ruled from 605 B.C. to 539 B.C. The head represents the Babylonian kingdom. And and then the the silver arms and and chest, that represents Persia. Remember, Alexander the Great came in and and took over. And and we see this. No, that's that's next. But you have uh, Persia represented in the silver, which is 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. Then comes Greece. And uh, that represents the bronze, which was 331 to 168 B.C. And then you have the legs, which is made of iron, and that represents Rome, uh, which ruled from 168 B.C. to 476 A.D. And then you have the feet of iron and clay. But, But all of these different materials on this statue represents all the major kingdoms of men throughout time. Now, some of you look at that and you say, well, okay, where's the U.S. in all of that? Where's the United States in in that image? And and I don't know. We we weren't brought up, okay? 
Um, I'm, I'm sure we're, we're somewhere up there along with China and, and Russia. But anyway, here, here, here's the point. I, I don't want you to focus on this as, as much as I want you to understand this point. All of these empires at one time looked really good. They were strong, they were powerful, but they were built. Don't miss this. They were built on a very unstable foundation. We've already talked about and, and explained what all the different materials represent, who they represent through the gold and the bronze, silver, uh, whatever. But, but here's the, the million dollar question I think we have to discuss this morning. What does the rock represent? What does the rock Represent Because what Daniel says in this dream, right, is, is you have this statue and then what's going to take place is this rock is going to come out of nowhere and it's going to take out the feet. Let me, let me back this up and read it to you. Verse 34, he says, as you watch, he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar's dream, a rock was cut from a mountain, note this in your mind, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. Now, what do you think is going to happen to this statue when the feet are taken out? It's going to come tumbling down, right? And he even says that. He says the whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind, watch this, blew them away without a trace. Even though they were so strong and so powerful, this rock comes out, takes out the feet, they all crumble. All of these kingdoms of men crumble and they're blown away like chaff on a threshing floor. Or chaff on a uh, threshing floor. He says, but the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. And, and so again, we come back to this question. We've talked about what all these different materials represent, how they represent all the kingdoms of men, but what does the rock represent? The rock represents Jesus. The rock represents God. And we know that for a couple of reasons. First of all, earlier in our text, and I told you to, to kind of note this in your mind, this rock was cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. Right? And, and then there, Jesus says something very interesting about Himself in the New Testament in Luke chapter 20. He's explaining a parable, and as you get into verses 17 through 18, he's talking about himself. He says this, why church? This stone or rock that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Everyone who stumbles over that, why church? Stone will be what? Will be broken to pieces. Jesus is the rock in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The book of Daniel is not just about Daniel. It is a foreshadowing of Jesus. You have this unimpressive rock that comes along and, and strikes down all the kingdoms of men, no matter how impressive they are. 
No matter how in control they appear to be, every single one of them crumble and they are blown away. Now don't miss this. Here's the deal. This isn't so much God's vengeance upon the nation. This is God promising that His kingdom will prevail. And you say, well, Slate, how can you say that? Well, as you continue to read, because he says that the rock becomes a what? Becomes a mountain that covers what? That covers the whole earth. We keep reading and we get Nebuchadnezzar's response to Daniel telling him his dream and interpreting what this dream means. Verse 46, and King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and what church? Worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods. The Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Now, this appears to be really good news, right? But what this really shows us, is, as you really think about it, is that King Nebuchadnezzar still doesn't get it. Right? Because first of all, who does he worship? He worships Daniel, not God. But then also, Nebuchadnezzar is really excited, right? I mean, you can, you can tell by looking at the text, he is, he is really excited. And here's the deal. Daniel has just told him, your kingdom's going to fall. But, but King Nebuchadnezzar is just so excited that someone could tell him his dream and tell him what his dream meant. But he doesn't really get it. He's not listening. But he does give Daniel a nice promotion in all this. Verse 48, Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all his wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's Court. And so that's really good news for Daniel and his friends because now they've been promoted. And, and so notice in just two chapters what we have seen is Daniel going from being a victim to becoming the second most powerful man in the most powerful empire in the world at the time. You say, well, Slate, that's great, but what's the application for you and me today? I'm glad you asked. Two things real quickly. First of all, we need to remember our purpose. Our purpose and mission, listen to me, take this with you today, is to live for God. And to build relationships with people who don't know God so that they can see and hear about Jesus through you and me. That's why it's so important for us to to live for God. You know, Paul 
says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, that you and I, we're ambassadors for Christ. And we've talked about what that means. We are here on this earth to represent God, to represent Jesus, to represent our homeland, so that people will know about God. And Peter goes on, and, and he talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. He says, but you are not like that, for you are a what, church? A chosen people. We've been chosen. Chosen by God to live for Him. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others, the white church said out loud, the goodness of God through you. And living and being who God wants you to be, people can see the goodness of God. For He's called you out. Of the darkness. That's His plan for you and me. He's called us out of sin and darkness into His wonderful life. Now, Paul's going to get a little more detailed as he talks about this in Ephesians chapter 5. He says in verse 1, he says, Imitate who church? God. Therefore, in what church? Everything that you do, because you're His dear children, live a life filled with love, Following what? The example of Christ. Imitate God. Follow the example of Christ. He goes on in verse 8 to say, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So do what, church? Live as people of light. And then he goes on, and this is so important. Keep all this in its, in its proper context. Okay? He is talking about how we are to live each and every day. Verse 16, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Sound familiar? Just what we read in Daniel, right? Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that would ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, he's talking about everyday life, how we do this life. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the the Lord in your heart and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, be careful how you live. Live in the Spirit. Don't live in the flesh. Remember, God is at work in and through those of us who are in the kingdom of Babylon. And let me tell you something. Now is the time. We need more modern day Daniels. We need people who will step up and say, man, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to live for God so that I can represent God. And make a difference in this world. But then lastly, and I know we're out of time, we gotta, we got to build wisely. Listen, we're all, building, we're all building a kingdom of some kind. Right? Every single one of us. And, and this is where the, the gut check comes in. What kingdom, am I, what kingdom am, I, am I building here? Is it my career? Is it my image or my influence on social media? Is it a relationship? Is it my children's education and sports? It can be anything. We can take really good things and make them a guide. 
And if we're building our life on anything other than the rock of Jesus Christ, if we're chasing greatness and self-worth, we'll always be haunted with anxiety and worry. If we're building our life on our image, we'll always fall apart when people are saying things about us that hurts. If we're building our life on money, we will always be fearful of what's happening in the markets. If we're building our lives on looks, we will always be fearful of what's happening in the mirror. In other words, listen, anything other than Jesus is just feet of clay. The key difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not just what we believe and how we behave. The key difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is the foundation we are building our life on. And it basically comes down to this, do I trust God? That the foundation He wants me to build on is durable enough, or do I keep building on clay? Let's pray. God, we just thank You so much for being an awesome God. God, we just pray that you will help us to trust you more and more each day. Help us to reflect you in every way. And Father, we just pray that you will use us in big ways to make a tremendous impact on this world like Daniel and his three friends. And Father, we pray this prayer in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll pick up in chapter 3 next week. But if there's anyone who needs to respond to the invitation this morning, whether it's to put on Christ in baptism, having all your sins washed away, or if you're here today and, and you need to repent of, of something, and, and you need really the, the prayers of the church and brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside you and encourage you and help you through that. Or if it's something of a private matter, you can post it up here on our, on our cross. You can leave it at the cross and our elders and myself will we'll pray over that for you. But whatever the case may be, um, please uh, let us pray for you and encourage you in the Lord in whatever case or, or situation you may find yourself in. As together we stand and sing. Jesus.